tonight I'm going to be talking about partnering with God. Now, excuse me, I'm going to get pretty real with you tonight. I mean, I did, you know, a month ago, but um, I'm going to be throwing a lot of scriptures at you tonight, like a lot of scriptures, but I'm not going to be reading most of them out, but I'm not going to apologize for throwing a lot of scripture at you anyway, because when you invite someone over for dinner, you don't apologize for feeding them. Where's Tim Randall? There you are. Can you please stand up? Everyone give him a round of applause. I was, now this guy, um, now remember this morning Steve said everybody has gifts and um, everybody, you know, needs to learn to outwork them the more they um, they look to Christ and, and all that kind of stuff. One of his gifts is to actually give. He loves to give. And I was so hungry today. I, I had like two sausage rolls at lunchtime, which obviously isn't enough. Look at the size of me. And... Um, you know, it's, it's coming close to the time when we're supposed to start. And this guy messages me and goes, hey, man, do you want a, a kebab? And I was like, oh, yes, come on. And, uh, mate, thank you so much. I feel ready to preach the word because I've got a kebab in my stomach right now. You have no idea how much joy you brought me. Anyway, hallelujah. I'm rambling. So, all right, so let's preach. I... I like to preach the gospel. I like to talk to strangers and, you know, smile and make things awkward and say, how you doing, you know, and I love to talk about Jesus and I love to pray for people. But it, it's almost like, I, I mean, I still get afraid sometimes, you know. And so if, if someone just, you know, I say, you know, how you doing? And someone says, oh, I'm doing all right. I've got a bit of a sore shoulder or something straight away. I'm, wondering, I'm like, okay, brilliant. How much does it hurt? I want to pray for you. And, you know, it's sort of like, I want to pray for you. And they're kind of like, oh, really? And it's like, yes, I do. And, no, it's okay. Come here, you know. Like, I like to put people on the spot, you know. And uh, so I love praying for people, you know. Sore knees, sore feet. Um, uh, you know, there was the guy in Maccas with the broken thumb, and he got healed, and it's like, yeah, come on, you know. So I love to do all this stuff. But for some reason, whenever it comes to someone in a wheelchair, I freeze up, and I don't know what to do. As if God can't heal that person, you know? And it, it's like all my confidence just goes away and I just like, I, I act like every other person that can't do anything, you know? It, does anyone know what I'm saying? Does anyone feel this sometimes? Does anyone get a bit of a fear of, of praying for people and talking about Jesus and all this kind of stuff? Wherever you're at in your walk, I'm sure we've all felt fear at some stage. I get it just with people in wheelchairs, nothing else. It's like I'll pray for everyone else, but oh, wheelchair, nah, can't do it, you know? And it's it's so frustrating. Like I, I find it aggravating that I just, for some reason, I, I can't work up the courage to go and pray for someone who's in a wheelchair. And it really got to me last week, you know, t towards the end of the week. And, and, and there's a blind guy in Gulgao, and I haven't even prayed for him yet. Um, I want to. But I haven't, and uh, I, I got really sick of it. So on Monday morning, I'm like, God, I'm sick of this. Or actually, on the on the weekend, I, I said, God, I'm sick of this. Come on, give me give me something, because obviously, I, for some reason, my thinking is wrong. And uh, so I started reading the Book of Acts again. You know, like I want to read something else, but no, Jamie, you're going back to the Book of Acts. You've missed something vital. Okay, I'm going to go back to the Book of Acts. And I went through the first chapter and. You know, there's some good stuff in there. I went through the second chapter. There's some good stuff in there. Then I hit the third chapter, and it's kind of like something in me just went pop. 
you know? And uh, so if you have your Bibles, can we please go to Acts chapter 3? I'm going to read out the first 16 verses. This one's a bit of a mouthful, but I don't care. Okay, so I'm going to read 1 to 16. So this is, I'm really only going to be focusing on one verse in this whole 16 part thing that I'm reading out, but I want to provide a bit of context first, okay? So one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Bless you. Now, it was that last verse, verse 16, that really stuck to me. And I couldn't read any more for like the rest of the week. I was just I was stuck on that verse. And uh, I thought, it, it, it's almost like Peter has explained a formula in there for healing in a sense. I'm going to read the last verse out again, verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. What's going on? Did you do that? Thank you. Okay, so there's the verse there. Now, Peter only says two things that gave the man healing. He said it was Jesus' name and it was our faith. And I thought, yeah, cool, I've got it. I'm ready to pray for a crippled person now. And then I thought, hang on a tick. It's Monday. Yeah, maybe you should learn a bit more about this. So I thought, just how powerful is the name of Jesus? You know? And... I started looking into it, and that's literally what took the entire week. So I, in a sense, I kind of regret it because it took up so much time, and I was, I was hardly home at all this week. 
and uh, but it's really good. But I feel like I've barely scratched the surface because it was so big. But I've I've kind of narrowed it down to four things, you know, in, in my own mind, and they're right there. So Jesus's deity, so his uh, godship, his authority, his power, and his character. Now, when I'm talking about these four things, I don't want you to imagine them as nouns or things that just exist. I want you to think of them as verbs. Has anyone ever heard the, the quote, love is a verb? Has anyone ever heard that before? So that means love can't sit still. It has to move. It has to take action for it to really be love. Therefore, love is a verb. I want you to think of these four things as verb because these are the things that make up who Jesus is. They are vibrant. They are alive. They are ever moving and ever transforming people's lives. And they work through us and in us and they transform the world. Yes? Okay. Thank you, Caesar. Hallelujah. Okay. So that's the first one. Then there's our faith. And I've really narrowed that down into experience, knowledge, trust, and relationship. Now, I will get to that soon enough. Um, but first, I want to focus on Jesus' name. And this is kind of where all the, the scriptures are going to start coming out, okay? So, and you don't need to follow where I'm going at the moment because I'm going to be running around a little bit, so I apologize. I don't usually do this anymore. So I'm just going to read from Philippians chapter 2, 6 to 11. You can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. So this is talking about Jesus, and Paul's talking to the Philippian church, and he's saying, we need to have the attitude of Christ, and that's verse 5, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, we're talking about Jesus' deity at the moment, the nature of what makes him up. And so, from that passage alone, You've got these things. You've got that he's fully God. He's fully human. He's got the highest throne. He's the name above all names. And every knee in the physical and spiritual universe will bow to the name of Jesus. Now, I'm going to throw some other verses out there just for good measure, but I ain't going to read them because we'll be here all night. You've got John 1.8, Revelation 4.11 and verse 17. Chapter 19, verse 16, you've got 1 Timothy 6, 15, Deuteronomy 10, 17, Psalm 136, like the whole chapter. You've got John 20, 28. Now, if you wanted to go there and look at those, you've got all of these things. Jesus is the Lamb of God, which means he's the only person righteous, righteous enough that has saved humanity from the jaws of hell. You've got he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. Um, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the soldiers come to take him, they're like, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he goes, I am. Now, the way he said I am was the way that God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush in the Old Testament. And the soldiers drew back and fell to the ground. Now, in contemporary language, we would say that they were slain in the spirit. Why? Because God revealed his glory. So even as a man, God could do all that stuff. Now, these are just some verses and some titles. I can't fit all of them on one page. And we would just be here for too long. So, so we'll keep moving. So that's Jesus' deity. 
Now, so are we starting to grasp a bit of an idea of just how big Jesus is? You know, this is already going pretty crazy. So his authority, and I'm definitely not going to read out all those verses. But in Mark chapter 4, it's where, you know, Jesus is having a snooze in the boat and the disciples are like, wake up, Jesus, we're going to drown because there's a storm coming and Jesus gets up and just tells the storm to chill out, you know, and the wind stops, the waves die down. So Jesus has command over the physical elements of creation because the elements of creation are commanded by their very own creator who was standing in that boat. Jesus wanted to have a snooze, so he told the earth to shut up. You know, it's, it's only logical. And so Jesus has authority over the physical realm. And if you want to learn a bit more about that, you can read Colossians chapter 1, 15 and 16. Okay, so I think, yes, commands nature. So Mark chapter 1 is about where Jesus, you know, heals the leper. You know, all the way through the Gospels, he's healing people. He does that. So Jesus has command over our physical bodies. Now in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it talks about God creating man. Now if God created mankind, then he obviously has authority over our bodies too. And he created us to be in his image, which means anything that stops us from being made in his image. For example, sickness, injury, deformity, or you know other conditions, whatever. Jesus has the authority to take that away and heal the person. Now, I'm not going to talk about the fact that we still get old and die. That's another theological point. If you want to talk about that with me afterwards, we can do that. But we're not going to do that tonight. Um, Luke 10, 17, 19. I will read that one out. So, as I said, um, there's a lot of verses tonight. Um, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Therefore, every enemy of Christ, so not just physical creation, not just human beings and, and our bodies, also the very spiritual enemies of God that revolted against him in the first place, they are also made subject to him because his authority is higher than theirs. And, you know, Acts 10.42 talks about Jesus being the eternal judge of everything in creation. Again, the physical and the spiritual realm. So if all that stuff before then wasn't enough, we've all got to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day, and he's got to make the verdict. So Jesus has authority. So guys, at the moment, I'm just trying to give a picture. I know I'm running through this very quickly, and I apologize. I just apologized. I'm trying to create a picture of why we should trust Jesus because I have trouble doing it for some reason and I will get to that in a minute. So now I'm just running through the different points of why we need to get over ourselves and just trust that God can do something amazing in someone's life and ours. Okay, so power. Now, you, you might think, well, why, why would you separate power and authority? Aren't they two separate things? Well, no, not entirely because you can still have authority over someone but not really have much power over them and they can still overpower you. Now power and authority are not quite the same but they are intrinsically related and they work together. So power is restricted by authority and God will not exercise his power where his authority does not go. That means God cannot change a person. 
He can bring revelation. He can show people things. But he cannot forcefully change a person's heart because that's just where he chooses not to go. I mean, if God could change people, I think he would have changed everybody in the world by now. So, let's keep going. Genesis 1, God spoke everything into existence. That means his words bear the capacity and the power to create. Now, I don't know if you've ever studied physics or biology or, or, or something like that, but things get wonderfully complex when you look at them under the microscope and when you look them up on the internet and stuff like that, and you think, wow, not only does it look beautiful and seem beautiful and smell beautiful and taste beautiful, kebabs, thank you, Tim, but it's also so wonderfully complex, and you think, wow, I don't understand anything that I'm looking at, you know? So Jesus' words have the power to create. Um, Colossians 1.17, I'll read that out really quickly. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That means that Jesus himself is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent enough to hold the entire universe within himself. That's pretty big. Are you feeling me? That's pretty big. So, Jesus is looking very powerful at the moment. And the last one, Colossians 2.15, um, says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So not only does he have authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and demons and all that kind of stuff, and he has passed that authority to us, but it means he is more powerful than them and he has already defeated them. Steve said this morning, the devil is like a what did he say, a tiger without teeth, you know, or a tiger without tusks or something. I can't, a toothless tiger, that's it, a tiger without tusks. He's um, a crossbreed with a walrus. You know, that means, and, and I think he said it this morning again, that means the only power that a demon has is what people give them permission to have. But Jesus has more power. Okay, so, and... Oh, yeah, I didn't even go through these. Okay, so character, and I'm not really going to go into this one um, too, too much. Uh, so, God is infinite. That doesn't mean he is both good and bad and everything in between and that he fills all of those facets in every single one of their degrees, but it does mean that he is infinitely consistent in his perfect ethics. Now, if you really wanted to try and boil God down to three characteristics, it's these three, love, holiness, and justice. And I think there's a verse in Ezekiel that actually says those three things in one go about the nature of God, but I couldn't find it. Um, I didn't look that hard, but I've picked, you know, so 1 John 4, that whole chapter really describes um, that God is love in very nature and that all of his actions are loving and that he never moves outside of that that um you know he's also holy and he's also just these are things that he never moves outside of and just because he acts in justice doesn't mean he doesn't act in love they actually serve each other very well these are god's boundaries and he's free to move in them wherever he wants so if you see someone that needs healing for any particular reason or you see someone that needs counseling or you see someone that needs help in some way and you think, wow, I want to help that person. Well, God's probably thought of it too. 
because that's his very nature. In fact, he's probably put that person across your path so that you, as an ambassador, as a child of God, could do something about it. So, when we are operating in the name of Jesus, then we are operating within the framework of these four virtues that we've just looked at. And if we act outside them, and then we claim to do it in the name of Jesus, then we're lying, aren't we? Because when you bear someone's name and you bear their authority, it means you're doing something that they would have done. Back in the day, you know, when, when a messenger stands before the king and they say, In the glorious name of King George! And then they read out whatever stuff they need to read out. It's because their king has decreed that message. So whenever someone says in the Bible, in the name of Jesus, it's because Jesus was always doing it anyway, and it's in Jesus' nature and his character and all of these other things, he would do the same thing. So when you say in the name of Jesus, you're not using some formula as if it's an abracadabra and then all of a sudden it's going to work. If Jesus lives inside us, then we bear all of these things anyway. We bear his deity. We bear his authority. We bear his power. We bear his character. Which makes all things possible, doesn't it? So, let's keep going. I want to talk about the other side of the coin now. So, we've just talked about Jesus' name, and I'm going to be jumping around a little bit less now. Um, faith. Our faith. Because this is a partnership. We are in a marriage partnership with God. And in a partnership, we are made one and we do things together. So, second page. I always usually only have like one page of notes for my messages and this one was two pages and I got really scared and I'm like, oh, I'll probably preach for two hours. And, you know, I didn't want to do that. It's the wrong one. So, faith. I was, I was thinking about faith for a little bit, and we use the term faith a lot. Um, we talk about it all the time. But I think sometimes it's become a bit of an abstract term to us, and we don't necessarily grasp it in all its fullness, and I'm definitely sure I still haven't, because I think it's bigger than my tiny little brain could ever really handle. So I'm thinking, what is faith? What does it encompass? What are its, you know, what are, what are its properties? And as I said, I, I narrowed it down to those four things. But I want to go back to the passage for a second. Now, Peter says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him. I want to look at the word faith and what it actually meant in Greek. So the Greek word is pistis. It means, oh, I've got it on the board. Hallelujah. Conviction of the truth of anything, generally included with the idea of trust and holy fervor. So fervor is like passion or ardor or zeal, like you just want to get something done. But then I thought the second definition was really cool. Uh, fidelity and faithfulness, the character of one who can be relied upon. So character is needed to be proved in order for faith to be placed on it. And we call that trust. Now, you know, when, when, when you get to know someone, you get to know someone to however degree that you get to know them, if they prove their integrity and their honesty, you can trust them up to about that much, to the degree that they've shown you of who they are. 
You can't trust them any more than that because that's as much as you know about them. The more they show about themselves, the more you can learn to trust them. And so trust allows us to become vulnerable to the people that we know. If we trust someone, we won't mind becoming vulnerable to them because we trust that they're not going to hurt us. And so trust allows relationship to grow. That's how relationships grow. If you have a relationship without trust, you don't really have a relationship at all. You just have a problem or you have a facade of a relationship. So, the way to know someone is to experience who they are. So, you get the experience of someone, then you get the knowledge of that person from the experience, then you get trust, then you get relationship. And I've made an awesome little hallelujah. It took me ages to find out how to use those arrows. I'm Mr. IT over here. So when you know someone well, then you know their nature, you know their heart, you know what they're about, you know the things they want, and you know what they're capable of. So faith really is reliant upon character and ability, which is what we were talking about with Jesus' name. It really comes down to his character and his ability. Now we know that faith comes from hearing the word. Yes, the Bible says that. We also know that in fact, Steve again mentioned it this morning, James 2.17. Faith without deeds is dead. Hey, guys. So when we hear the word or when we read the word, we decide, you know what, we should act on this because it stirs you up. So you've got the experience of God because you've heard the word of God. Then you have a general idea of who God is based upon that word that you know. And then you think, now I need to put this into action. Now I need to outwork trust because when we outwork trust then we are proving that we are becoming vulnerable which will allow relationship to grow but if we hear the word and then we know a bit about God and we don't act on it we're actually hardening ourselves against God and we are proving that we don't trust him which means we're not growing in relationship So faith is a manifestation of placing trust in God. Now, as I said, we're in a marriage partnership with God. That means he leads. We don't lead. We often like to think we lead. We try to advise God and counsel God. And I've often tried to convince God to do something the way I would have done it because I always thought my advice was better than God's. Because, you know, I'm not arrogant. So if we are in a marriage partnership with God, that means both parties have something to bring to the table. Yes? Amen? Hallelujah. All of those who are married or will be married soon. or Every party has something to bring to the table. So Jesus brings his name, which encompasses everything that we just spoke about. And we bring faith. Now, just a quick side note. Let's say we come across a person in a wheelchair or something, and we think, oh, God, I'm really scared. Like, I'm not going to do anything, but can you heal them anyway? And then you walk away, you know, and Jesus does heal them. He's actually acting outside our trust because he's... When you act outside your marriage partner's trust, it means you're forcing them into a corner where they have to respond. 
So if God just heals someone in front of you when you're really scared and you're not going to do it, that means he is putting you on the spot and you don't have a choice. That's why he doesn't do it. That's why we have to go the distance as well, because we are giving God permission to move. That's why people say faith ties the hands of God, because God doesn't want to act outside our trust. That comes back to love. So, work. Can you please go to the next slide? I think I just ran out of batteries. Hallelujah. That's the last one anyway, so I don't need to change it over. So Jesus' name is already waiting for us to be at work. And so when we respond in faith, that gives us the opportunity to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, where amazing things can happen. And you will be surprised at just what might be able to happen. Can I please have the band up? Thank you very much. So... Why is this so hard? You know? Like, cheers. We have a good enough idea of the fact that Jesus is good, don't we? We have a good idea, a good enough idea, that Jesus' intentions for us are good, that everything he's got for us and planned for us is all good. We have an idea that is reasonable enough to say that he wants to heal every single person on this earth, that he wants to save every single person on this earth, that everything he has for everybody is good. And we have reasonable enough idea, we have reason to believe enough that Jesus is all-powerful because he created everything that we see. We see all the miracles in the Bible. So we think all of this must be possible. And yet we stand there in the moment and we know, and it's like, I could pray for this person right now and they'd probably be healed, you know? And, and yet we don't do it. We, we, we freeze up. And, and something I, I discovered last week was that I'm not necessarily afraid to trust in Jesus. I'm afraid of losing control. I'm afraid of taking the trust off myself and I'm afraid of giving it to God. I know that Jesus is far more capable than I am. But I would rather be in control because at least if I'm in control, then I feel like I'm, I'm safe. I'm in, I'm in some sort of false sense of security. But here's the thing. If you want to maintain control of your own life, if you want to sit on the throne that really only God should have in your life, then you're choosing to live as a slave. Because that's what God has taken us from. He has taken us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He has taken us from slavery to reign as kings and priests. Going back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God called us to rule the earth. That means we should walk around confidently knowing that God can do anything and anything that can be done in Jesus' name, we should jump at the chance. But we don't because we're choosing to live as slaves. So really the choice becomes... I can lead myself and be in control and I can remain a slave or I can relinquish control. I can stop trusting in myself and I can um, allow God to lead me and then I can reign as a king and as a priest. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
So it's that fear of letting go, really, that often we must shake. Can, can we please all stand up? Now, if you have a problem with fear of, of, of talking about Jesus, of uh, preaching the gospel, of, of praying for people, of going out of your way to do something that some people might consider a bit weird, you know, but you're doing it in the name of Jesus. If you have a problem with that, then can you either come down the front if you want prayer or can you stand in the aisles or something and just give yourself some space and raise your hands if, if you need healing for anything, whether you're sick or you're injured or something like that. Come on, we'd love to pray for you, you know? If you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you want to be baptized in the Spirit, then come on, we'd love to pray for you. Okay, let's, let's have some time of ministry. Let's not leave here the same people that we walked in. Come on. Let's pray real quick and, and then uh, I'll get the guys to sing a song and uh, we'll, we'll have some ministry time and some prayer time. Father, we want to thank you. First of all, that you have called us to great things. That you have made us able that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you and that we bear it because you live inside us. That we are called to be children and ambassadors of the Most High God. The name above all names, Father, there is no name like yours. You are so great and powerful and loving and holy and just. Align our hearts with yours. Father, help us to surrender our will to yours. May our minds, may our emotions not get in the way and cause problems and cause us to shy away and live again as slaves, which you have called us away from. Help us to reign as kings and priests. Help us to do something out of our comfort zone. Father, we don't want to live comfortably. We want to live Christ-like. We want to be up and moving. We want to bring healing and restoration and reconciliation to a dying world. Father, there are people all around us that need to know you and they need to experience you. Give us the heart to let go of ourselves, that we may see you in all things, that we would grow closer to you. Father, may we know you and may we see you more and more every day. Amen.